today. If you are new or visiting our church family, my name is Aaron. I have the privilege of being the pastor here, and we're so glad that you chose to be with us today. Uh, I don't have much of a voice today. Uh, last night, uh, in the middle of the message, I started losing my voice, and so I'm going to try to be a little bit more subdued and quiet for you today. I know it's difficult because I, I like to get fired up and passionate, especially when God lays something on my heart. Uh, but uh, today, I've, I've just got to be a lot softer and not push it too much so that I can keep the voice the rest of the services today. Today's going to be very different. Um, it, it's, I'm out of my comfort zone completely today, to be very honest. But those of you that know me, I'm very structured. I'm very organized. I like to have my messages mapped out. And that's why we do the notes and the fill in the blanks so I can really kind of have a roadmap. And I know what the roadmap is. I know where I'm going. And what God really laid on my heart this week, and it's kind of a vision weekend for us as a church, is really a, a prophetic message for our church, which is outside of my comfort zone. But there's some things that God really put on my heart in a strong way that I feel that he wants me to share with you. He wants me to release some stuff today for the year that we're moving into, some of the whys, some of the hows, some of the, the behind-the-scenes look at what God is up to, what God is doing. And so this is going to be a very different type of message than what I normally do. And I'm, I'm just going to say right up front, I know that some of you, uh, th this is not your thing. Like, like when you, people move in the prophetic, it's kind of like, you know, that's not my thing. Come back next week. We'll, we'll get back to organization and structure. Um, Today is more of what the Holy Spirit really has put on my heart to release in our church for this year. And again, I know some of you really aren't going to buy into it at all, and that's fine with me. Like, you don't have to participate in this week's message at all. Uh, th this is for those that really want to kind of grab hold of some things that I'm seeing in the Spirit, that I'm feeling prophetically, not just for our church, but for what God's doing around the world right now. We're moving into a very significant decade. There's seasons of time that there's a level of importance on, on a season of time that God just kind of ordains. In the Bible, it's called a kairos moment, a, a specific set of time where God is doing something unique and different. 2007 was one of those years. Seven is the number of completion or perfection or acceleration. And you study Hebrew gematria and the meaning of numbers. Well, if you look at what happened in 2007 in the world, it was a very significant year. The iPhone was launched that year. The Kindle was launched that year. Cloud technology was launched that year. There was all sorts of technological advancements that came out in 2007 that has changed our life to this day, good and bad. Uh, we know with the advent of the iPhone that pornography has, has reached kind of epidemic levels because now everybody has access. But we also know because of the invent of the iPhone that devotional lives have reached all new levels because you now have access to the Bible at your fingertips. You can carry an entire university, a Bible college, right in your palm and, and take it anywhere around the world with you and be able to access the Bible and read the Bible and study and, and connect with people through prayer. So technology can be used for evil, but it can also be used for good. And 2007 was a year where technology 
was released on the world that has made our life better, that has, has saved us time for those that you know, have families with kids. You can now carry an office in your iPhone and be able to answer emails and respond to things. And, and years ago, you couldn't do that. You had to have a physical office where fax machines and printers and typewriters, and, and it just, it, it was a lot. Now we can communicate much faster because of what happened in 2007. So I'm just saying that there's seasons of time where God does something unique. God does something different. And I really believe at the beginning of this year, we moved into one of those seasons. And I want to kind of explain, because as I began to dream and pray and write about this year, I put some things on my prayer list that we emailed out to the church. I didn't even see how prophetic it was when I put it in the list. I was just kind of praying and seeking God and writing what God was putting in my heart. And then when I took a step back and I really began to study what God put on my heart and what we're moving into, I saw the prophetic side of it. And it really comes down to this this 2020. Now, I know a lot of pastors on Vision Sunday this year, they took the angle of 2020, like perfect vision. You know, like you go to the eye doctor and if you have 2020 vision, it's perfect vision. So it's a year of vision, year of clarity. And there's a lot of pastors that have been preaching that right now. And that's great. Like I have nothing against it. It's just not what God put on my heart. Uh, I, I really, I didn't see it until I really began to look at the number 20. And, and what, what does the number 20 mean? Because as many of you know, uh, Hebrew gematria is the study of numbers in the Bible. And, and, and the Jews believe that the numbers have significance. They have meaning. They have value. The number seven, again, number of completion. The number 10 is a number of testing or the number that represents the whole, all. So all these different numbers are in the Bible for a reason. When you study the number 20 biblically, The number 20, according to Hebrew gematria, is the number of redemption. 20 throughout the Bible is a number that represents redemption. Uh, You see it in the book of Ruth. Ruth is a story of redemption. Boaz, the Christ typology figure, was the redeemer. Boaz, the redeemer, his name is mentioned 20 times in the book of Ruth. Not Not a coincidence. The 20th time... Abram's name was mentioned in the Old Testament. It says God blessed him with silver and gold. He was kind of redeemed from the life of poverty that he came from. The 20th time, his name Abraham was mentioned in the Bible is when he says to God, if there's not 20 righteous people, will you not save the wicked with the righteous for 20 people? Israel in the book of Judges waited 20 years for a redeemer. Samson led in redemption 20 years in the book of Judges. In in Exodus, when you became a man, in in Moses' writing, it was when you turned 20 that you were eligible for the redemption offering that was to be given. The book of Hebrews, which is all about Christ the Redeemer, has 20 different titles or names for Christ in the book of Hebrews. Number 20 is all about redemption. And we're moving into a year that's not just redemption, it's 2020, it's double redemption. One of the things I put in my letter is I believe that by the end of this year, God is going to give us 2,000 people a weekend who will be attending our church. That's double from where we're currently at. Now, let me be clear. We don't have numerical goals as our church, so we don't have a goal to be a church of 2,000. 
What I believe God was saying to me is prepare the system, prepare the infrastructure so that if I bring you 2,000 people, you have the ability to make sure people are discipled, to make sure people are pastored, to make sure people are growing spiritually. So our goal as a church is never to break a number. Our goal is simply to provide a place where God chooses to bring us people, we can pastor them well. We can make sure that they're growing spiritually, that they're becoming disciples of Christ. That is our vision. I felt like what God was putting on our heart for this year is build the infrastructure for 2000 because that's what I want to give you. Now, I didn't even see the double in that, but we're moving into a year of double redemption where God is going to double some things in people's life. God is going to double profit. God is going to double businesses. God is going to double careers. There's family situations that are going to be doubling uh, in some relational way, health situations. It's just a year where God wants to redeem, where where, where it's a double redemption year. And again, like I said, to begin with, you don't have to buy into this. Like you, you, can, you can assume that I'm just reading into things, whatever. I'm just telling you what the Lord has been putting on my heart. And if, and if you want to participate, God wants to do something very special this year in some people's life. But there's a reason behind it all. And, and really, 2020 is the beginning of a decade. So it's not just a year, but it's a decade we're moving into. Now, think about what the next 10 years is going to look like in the world. Think about your own family. The next 10 years is going to be the most significant 10 years of your life. For some of you, you have young children. In the next 10 years, they're going to be graduating high school and and leaving home. For some of you who are single, in the next 10 years, you're going to be married with kids. For some of you in your business, the next 10 years, your business is going to look radically different than what it looks today. The next 10 years are going to be incredibly significant for you. What's very interesting about this is this is the this happens about every thousand years it's 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 happening right now the decade we're moving into where the gregorian calendar and the jewish calendar are aligned perfectly and not just this year but aligned for a decade so right now in the jewish calendar it's the year 5780 in the gregorian calendar it's the 20th year of the century that we're in Now, if you look at the Jewish calendar and you add it up, 5 plus 7 plus 8 plus 0, you get the number 20, which is in perfect alignment with where we're at right now in the Gregorian calendar. Next year, it'll be 5781, which you add it up, it's 21. The year after that, 5782, you add it up, it's 22. We'll be in the 22nd year of our century. So for the next 10 years, the Jewish calendar and the Gregorian calendar are going to be in perfect alignment. You can... can, See whatever you want to see there with that, but it is incredibly significant, the season that we're moving into. Even when you study the numbers of the Hebrew language, in the Hebrew language, they don't actually have numbers. They have numerical values assigned to the different letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Well, the number 20 in the Hebrew alphabet is the letter Kaf. Kaf, it's the 11th letter. It has the numerical value of 20. And the picture of the Kaf, because each Each letter of the Hebrew alphabet is also a picture, is a picture of the open hand or the palm. And what the Jewish people believe about Kaf, this this 11th letter, is it's God's palm extended to us in blessing and redemption. That's what the picture of the open hand, when you bless somebody in the Hebrew culture, you extend the palm, you extend the open hand to bless them. And so when you study this in the Hebrew alphabet, The palm symbolizes two things. It's God's 
hand of favor and blessing over our life, but it's also God's hand that covers our sin and covers our shame. It's a picture of redemption. You look at cough, it's 2 Corinthians 5.21. He who knew no sin became sin. God's hand covers our sin, covers our shame, covers our past, that we might become the righteousness of Christ. God's hand then endows us with righteousness, endows us with grace, bestows upon us His favor. And this is the year that we're moving into that's going to set up a decade because God is doing something. One of the chapters that God put on my heart for this year is Psalm 20. Psalm 20 is a whole chapter dedicated to redemption. Let's look at a few verses. It says, may the Lord answer you when you are in distress. This is a year where you're going to see God answer in the middle of trial, in the middle. It's not a year where you're not going to have pain, you're not going to have trouble. It's a year where God's going to bless you through the pain and bless you through the trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. It's a year of God's protection. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. You're going to see this begin to take place this year in some of your businesses and some of your investments and some of your careers and family situations, dynamic health situations. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. This I know, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. We're not going to put our faith in our human effort this year. We're not going to put our faith in our ability this year. I'm going to show you why. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and we stand firm. There's a lot of prophetic significance in this for us. Zechariah says it like this, return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. I love that, that you're, you're captive to hope. Like you, you just can't, you can't get away from hope. There's something inside of you that you just have this hope. You have this expectation that God is about to do something. You're, you're a prisoner to that hope. Even today, I declare that I will restore double to you. You see, over the last decade, Satan has robbed some of you. He's stolen from you. He's taken from you. And I'm telling you, we're moving into a decade where God is going to restore some of the things you've lost. Some of you, you've got children that have wandered away from God. Well, God is going to restore that this year. Some of you have marriages that have fallen apart. God's going to restore marriages this year. Some of you, it's already happened. Some of you have had marriages that fell apart years ago, and you've been, you've been living as a, you know, a single divorced person, feeling the shame of being single and divorced. Well, God's going to restore you into a new marriage over the next year, the next decade. We've already seen it in a couple in our church who God has restored them, something they felt like they lost and that, that God could never give them back. God is now giving them something unbelievable. We're already starting to see this take place. Isaiah 61, the last thing that really God put on my heart, Scripture for us, is it says, you will be called priests of the Lord. That is the season of time we're in right now. The book of Revelation says they will be a kingdom of priests. You will be named ministers of our God. That's our season. We, we are a priesthood now. We don't 
have a priest. We have a high priest, Jesus, but we don't have priests. We are the priests. We are the priesthood. You are the priest of your home. You will feed, I love this, on the wealth of nations. You're going to feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. Since the year 2000, we've moved into really a generation that understands grace like never before. You study the 1900s of Christianity. The 1900s were all about holiness. It was all about, you know, there was the Pentecostal movement of the 1900s, the charismatic movement of the 1900s. It was a holiness movement. Since the year 2000, you hear more preachers now worldwide teaching on grace. It's like there's a revelation of grace now that was always there, but it was hidden that's now being revealed to the forefront. We're living now under a time of grace where we don't live with shame anymore because we know God's grace covers us. So now we're receiving a double portion. Those of us that have lived a life of regret and lived a life of shame and lived a life of brokenness and lived a life of mistakes are now receiving a double portion from God which doesn't make any sense at all. Like, look at our past. We don't deserve what we're receiving right now, but God is doing it because he's taking away our shame. And instead of disgrace, you receive your inheritance and you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. Now, when you study the book of John, there's seven miracles in the book of John. And John doesn't call them miracles, he calls them signs, because each of them point to something significant that Jesus can and will do in our life. And as I began to pray over this message and this, this year of double redemption, this 2020 that we're moving into, the, the sign that, that I felt like God was giving me for this year, the, the sign out of the book of John the, was the very first miracle that Jesus performed. Now, it's very interesting because it, it wasn't the one I was expecting, to be honest. When you study the first miracle that Jesus performed, it was a miracle of luxury. It wasn't a miracle of necessity. It wasn't a miracle of pain. It wasn't a miracle of suffering. It was a miracle of luxury. It was taking a group of, of people who are well off. They're, they're celebrating. They're having a good time. They're at a wedding. They're, they're already drunk because they've been drinking wine all night. And all of a sudden, Jesus doesn't just turn water into wine when you read the story. He turns water into the best wine. Like the master of the house, the guy who probably has the best taste buds for wine because he enjoys the best of the best, is saying, why did you hold this off until the end of the night? Like, this is the best wine you've served at the entire feast. Like, where did you get this? It was so good. Now, here's the thing about this miracle. It was a miracle of luxury. Now, this miracle, we as human beings have the ability to produce it ourselves. Like, we didn't need Jesus' help to make good wine. We can make good wine on our own. Here's the difference. What would take us years to accomplish? Because you talk to anybody that knows wine, they'll tell you it, it takes years to produce a good bottle of wine. You've got you've to prepare the soil with the right nutrients. You know, it takes time to cultivate the soil, sometimes years to cultivate the right type of soil with minerals and nutrients. And then there's the process of sowing the right type of seed. And then there's harvesting the grapes. And then there's preparing the grapes. And then there's the fermentation process. And then the, the waiting period to really allow it to mature to, to the best wine. So what does Jesus do? Jesus 
does in moments what takes us years to pull off. You see, what God began to show me is this year in some of your lives, He's going to do in moments which should take you years to accomplish. He's going to do things in your investments in moments that would normally take you years to see those type of returns in your business, in your career, in, in, in family situations, health situations. He's going to do in We see it in the book of Ruth, the whole book on redemption. Ruth chapter 2, Ruth works all day long in the sun, the, the strength of her energy, her, her, her ability, her effort. And at the end of chapter 2, she walks away with one ephah of barley. It's what she could produce in her own ability. Chapter 3, Ruth comes to the feet of her redeemer, Boaz, and she lays at his feet. She walks out of chapter 3 after coming to the feet of Boaz, the feet of the Redeemer, doesn't lift a finger, doesn't move a muscle, and she walks out of chapter 3 with six ephahs of barley. You see, what is it telling us? In your own ability, you can only produce so much, but at the feet of your redemption, at the feet of your Redeemer, you can always accomplish more than anything you would ever be able to accomplish in your own ability. God can accelerate time on your behalf. That was the miracle of luxury. It was the miracle of water and the wine. God took a period of time that would take years and he turned it into moments. And God, I believe, is going to do that in your life. And I know some of you are, are already like getting a little uncomfortable. You're thinking to yourself, is this some kind of prosperity gospel? Is this a health and wealth? And let me answer the question. Yes, it is. God wants to prosper you and I'm not going to apologize for it. So if you want to get upset with me, get upset with me. But but the reality is God wants to prosper some of you this year. The problem is you got to have God's definition of prosperity and not your definition of prosperity. The Bible is very clear. It's God's will that he prospers you, that he gives you life and life abundantly. That is God's plan. And this is a year where he's inviting you to participate with him because he wants there to be a transfer of wealth to the body of Christ, a transfer of wealth into Christian hands for a purpose. But it's not prosperity to feed your greed. It's not prosperity to feed your materialism. There's a reason behind it all. We're blessed to be a blessing. And I really began to pray. And I said, God, why, why do you want to do this this year? Like, what are you doing? What are you trying to accomplish? What, what's the purpose behind it all? And we're going through the one year of Bible as a church. And we're just finishing Genesis and Exodus. We're in Exodus right now. And one of the stories you read about is Joseph in prison and how he's redeemed from prison. And he's redeemed from prison because God gives him the interpretation of Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh has this dream and none of the wise men understand it. And so they bring out Joseph. And I felt like God was saying, this is why I'm going to do it. This is what I'm setting up for. The interpretation of the dream that Joseph told Pharaoh is, God's going to give us seven years of prosperity, seven years of abundance, seven years of, uh, of just incredible blessing because what's going to happen next is seven years of famine and poverty and drought and, and pain and hardship. Now, I don't know if it's a literal seven years or not, but I believe God wants to transfer wealth right now and position the church and position Christianity in such a way for whatever is to come that we will be able to thrive during that season of time, that the world will look to us. Just like in, in the story, Joseph was a Christ typology. He was, he was a figure of Christ. The entire world looked to him as their savior, looked to him as their provider. I believe God is positioning the church for something special right now. He's positioning 
Christian businessmen and Christian businesswomen in such a way for what is to come where there's going to be a transfer of wealth. And, and I don't know what it's going to look like, and, and, and I haven't seen that far. All I'm seeing is God's about to do something, but he's doing it for a very specific reason. And he gave me three words to, to kind of describe our participation, our, 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 our place in the puzzle, be it so. The first word that I felt like God put on my heart is the word separation. And this is what January was all about. We, we separated, we prayed, and we fasted. What is, what is fasting? Fasting is separating ourselves from the world. We did a series called Breaking Free. What was Breaking Free all about? Separating ourselves from things that are holding us back. See, one of the things that God wants to do is he wants to put some things in your hand this year. He wants to bless you with some unbelievable things. But if you don't make room, if you don't let go of some stuff, if you don't clear out some of the junk that's in your hands right now, there's no room for what God wants to give you. And so what we have to do is we have to separate with some things that are holding us back so that we can grab hold of everything that God has for us. The verse that he gave me for this is 2 Corinthians 6, therefore come out from among unbelievers and separate yourself. Now, for years, I read this verse to mean non-Christians, like, like don't live like non-Christians. Come out from the non-Christians. But you know, we have as many unbelievers in the church as, as there are in the world. This is not about a Christian, non-Christian thing. This is about not believing. It's about being an unbeliever. I believe there are a lot of people going to heaven because they've made Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior, but they're unbelievers because they don't believe the truth of who they are in Christ. They don't believe the truth of God's grace. They don't believe the truth of their righteousness. They don't believe the truth that they're worthy and they're accepted and they're right before God. And what he's saying is if you're going to receive what God wants to give you this year, you got to come out from the unbelievers. You got to stop looking at yourself as disqualified. You got to stop looking at yourself as unworthy. You got to stop looking at yourself as not good enough that, that you have a past and you've made mistakes. No, you've got to leave the unbelievers and you've got to step in into who you are in Christ. You got to believe that it's not about you. It's about Jesus. Stop beating yourself up for your sin. Stop beating yourself up for your past. Jesus was brutally beaten on your behalf. Do you realize God cannot punish you for your sin because God is just and God is fair? God cannot punish you for your sin. So why are you punishing yourself for your past? God will not... What would it say about God if he punished you for your sin after he already punished his son? See, God would not be fair to Jesus if he punished you for something he already punished Jesus for. Jesus received the punishment for your sin. God cannot be just to then punish you for what he already punished Jesus. That, that would be unfair. That would be cruel to Jesus. So you've got to come out from among the unbelievers. And I love this part. Don't touch their filthy things. Now, again, for years, I looked at that as sinful things. Don't touch their sin. Don't, don't touch the adultery and the sexual immorality and the drug addiction and the pornography and all that garbage from the world. But do you realize God's definition of filthy and our definition of filthy are radically different? What does God view as filthy? Well, Isaiah says all of our righteous deeds are but filthy rags. So do you know what filthy is to God? Our self-righteousness. Filthy to God is me trying to be good enough, me trying to earn it, me trying to perform. 
me trying to follow the rules really well, that's filthiness to God. See, all of my sinful things, the Bible says he can make white as snow. So he's not worried about my sinful. He's not worried about my past. He's not worried about the ugly things that I've done because he can make all that white as snow. What God's worried about is the filthy things, all of my righteous deeds, all of my self-righteousness. You know, somebody who really talked about this well, as we left the Breaking Free series during our 21 days of prayer, he spoke one of the mornings of 21 days of prayer, and it was so powerful. I wanted him to share in this message because it really kind of caps this off and sets us up for the next two points. And, and that's, that's John Hovis. He's one of our founding elders, one of our prayer pastors, just one of our solid rocks of the church. John, I want you to come and just share this, this point with us because what he shared at 21 days was so powerful that I just felt so strong he needed to share it in this message today. Thank you, Aaron. Um, Keep your hearts open to this message. It's such a, such a powerful time for us to hear from God through our pastor. Um, yeah, I, I, the 21 days has been an amazing time. It always is. And, and the first of January just seems to really set a course. And like Aaron, I've looked at the number 20, and, and for this year, it's just, it, it is an astounding number. And I, I'm so, so excited he's been preaching on this. But I do have to admit, I was uh, the first message of the... Um, of the Breaking Free series, it, it rocked me to the core. It, um, I left that message, frankly, very angry at Aaron, and, uh, but what I found out was really angry at God. He was pointing out some things in my life about a stronghold in my life that I've been holding on to for quite a while, and it's nothing bad. It's actually a very good thing. And, and, and it's one of those things that, that you look at and go, God, how can that be a stronghold? That, that doesn't make any sense. Um, in fact, my wonderful wife and I got into, I know this never happens to any of you guys, but after church, we got into an incredible argument over this, this particular issue. And, and uh, it was just like, what in the world? And, but God was speaking. In fact, I, I, this just hit me as Aaron was talking about this. If you're feeling the same way about, about this message, like, oh, he's talking this prosperity. Oh, it's so bad. God is speaking to you right now. He wants to change something in your attitude, your thoughts. That's what he did for me, that first, ser- that first message of the series. I tried to just kind of push it under the carpet and not deal with it. And, and uh, about a week later, I'm meeting with a group of guys, and, and one of the guys came in and said, hey, John, would you, would you be interested in doing like a book study in the group? And I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. And he goes, how about this book that Aaron recommended at, uh, at that first session, this Beth Moore book, uh, you know, Praying Scripture to Break Strongholds in Your Life. And I'm like, seriously, God, that's what you're going to do? So I went home that night and I bought the book. And, and in, in the first couple of chapters, this is, there's a line that is so speaking to what Aaron is talking to today. And it says that all strongholds come from the disbelief, the disbelief in the supremacy of God and the sufficiency of God. Now, those are two really big words and, and can be real Christianized if, if you want to. But what I found out, what was really angering me so bad was I was one of these unbelievers. I wasn't allowing the supremacy of God and the sufficiency of God to get into this area of my life. This area had to be part of my life in order for me to have the abundant life God has has said he wants to bless me with. I was putting something above the supremacy of God and the sufficiency of God. I was one of these unbelievers. And that bothered me deeply. God showed me uh, one evening that... Jesus also dealt with those issues in his life. Now, if if you believe that doubt is a sin, Jesus didn't doubt because Jesus had no sin in his life. 
But I saw a couple of places where Jesus had to deal with the supremacy and the sufficiency of God. And God showed me, there was, I think there's only two times in the Bible that, that is recorded that Jesus bled, mm. that, that, he, that they actually describe blood coming from Jesus. One of them, of course, is on the cross and the beating that he took before the cross. But before that was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he went in the garden and he prayed this prayer and he said, Lord, if possible, take this cup from me. If possible are two words that describe my feeling on the supremacy of God. God, can you do this? Is it possible for you to be a part of my life? Jesus was asking God, if possible. Again, I don't know if that's doubt or not. I, it doesn't matter. But what it comes down to, he was dealing with the supremacy of his father at that moment. And that was so hard for him. Mm. The stress of that was so complete that it broke capillaries in his forehead and blood came out like sweat. Jesus was dealing with the supremacy of God. And when he admitted that to God, when he was saying, God, if it's possible, take this cup from me, ministering angels came to him, spirits came to him and ministered to Jesus and give him, gave him the strength to say this, but not my will, your will be done. Jesus was able to bow to the supremacy of God like you and I can too in our lives as well when we admit we're having a problem with that. The second time Jesus bled was on the cross. And I believe Jesus felt, came face to face with the sufficiency of God. Is God enough in Jesus' life? And in that moment, God turned his back on Jesus and was not enough for him. Hmm. I believe that's why Jesus bled in the garden. He knew God was going to turn his back on him. That was the stress that he felt. And see... At that moment, Jesus experienced something that no other human being will ever have to experience. And that's God not being enough. I'm an unbeliever because there's times in my life that God's supremacy is not enough and God's sufficiency isn't enough for me. And what I did in this particular area of my life was I started admitting to God, Lord, you're not enough for me. I need this other area as well. You're simply not enough. And the moment I started admitting that to God, he began ministering to my heart, and I began to get more free. All of what Aaron is talking about, it doesn't matter if God's blessing looks like a billion dollars in your bank account or not. Whatever your idea of what blessing should look like, his supremacy and his sufficiency, whatever he gives, whatever he does, whatever happens in your life, it is enough. And when it isn't for you, admit it to him so that he can free up your hands to receive what it is that you need to have. Amen. God bless Thank you, guys. John. Powerful. So good. So to what John is talking about, we separate from unbelief. And then the next thing is transformation that needs to take place in our life. We, we, we separate and then we transform. Romans says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. What is the pattern of this world? It's religion. It's religion. Everyone in this world is religious except for people who understand the gospel. Atheism is religion because it's built on a belief system. It's all built on trying to save yourself. All religion is built on trying to save yourself. No matter what world religion is, no matter what non-belief it is, no matter what atheism or agnosticism it is, it's all built on you trying to somehow save yourself. The gospel is completely different. The gospel is I can't save myself. I need a savior. So let's not 
conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because it's in, again, it's all about what you believe. It's all about what's in your mind. Then, I love this. So when you get the right belief system, when you begin to believe in grace, when you begin to believe in righteousness, when you begin to believe you're good enough, when you, in other words, when you begin to walk around and say, well, why wouldn't God bless me? He loves me. Like, why wouldn't God do it for me? Like, if God gave me his son, then how can he not give me freely all things? I mean, think about it. Is there anything God has that he can give you that's more important than his son? Is there anything? Is there any healing? Is there any amount of money? Is there any miracle that God could give you that is more important than his son? So if he gave you his son, then how could he not freely give you anything else under the sun? Think about that. You get the right belief system, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. You're going to be faced with decisions this year. Business opportunities, investment opportunities, family situations. How are you going to test and approve what God's will's perfect will is? You got to have the right belief system. You got to believe God loves you. You got to believe you're covered by his favor. You got to believe you're righteous, not because of who you are. You're righteous because of who Jesus is that you are forgiven, that you are loved, that you are accepted, you get the right belief system, then you will be able to test and approve God's perfect will for your life, which then leads us into the final one, which is occupation. We've got to occupy everything God wants to give us. God wants to bless you. Are you going to occupy it? Are, are you going to receive it? Are you going to position yourself? Like, like if God's blessing for your life is falling right here, and you're standing over here, God's still blessing you. You're just not receiving it. The reality is God is blessing every single person in this room. The question is, are you standing under it? Are you receiving it? Are you occupying the land, the territory, the dominion that God wants you to occupy? Because the promise he made Joshua still stands to this day. I will give you every place where you set your foot. God, God wants to give you dominion. God wants to give you territory. God wants to give you blessings and miracles. There are things God wants, because he's a good father. He's a loving father, and he wants to bless you. I, I love this very insignificant, obscure guy in the Old Testament. His name is Jabez. There's only one verse about him. His name means pain, so there's no telling what his life was like, because you don't, in the Old Testament, get a name that means pain if you haven't gone through hell. That's one of the ways you got named in the Old Testament is your life circumstance determined who you were. So here's a guy who is named Pain. So, so he wasn't immune from trials. He wasn't immune from problems. And we don't know anything about him except one thing. He prayed a prayer. That's all we know about Jabez is he prayed this prayer. And for whatever reason, God liked the prayer so much that it got included in the Bible. And now people write books about this guy that we only have one verse on. And here's this prayer, oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my business, enlarge my profits, enlarge my investments. I know this sounds like a prosperity message. I, I, I get it, but it's the Bible. I can't help it. And I know we don't like it when people pray like this. We criticize people who pray like this. We, we, that's arrogant. That, that's just, that's not right. You shouldn't pray like that. You should just be humble and content with whatever God gives you. Well, here's this guy who lived in pain, and he didn't allow the pain of his life to stop him from believing big things from God. And he gets the audacity to go before God and say, God, bless me and enlarge my business, enlarge my profits, enlarge my territory. And how did God feel about somebody praying like this? 
and God granted his request. So I know you may not like it, but God liked it. I may know, I, you may have issue with it. God didn't have any issue with people praying like this. God actually liked him praying like this. God, God liked this prayer so much that we now know his name. He's forever immortalized in scripture. As a guy who prayed one prayer and the prayer moved the heart of God and God granted his prayer. That's all we know. We don't know anything about his history. We don't know anything about where he came from. We don't know anything about what he went through in life apart from the fact that he was named Pain. All we know is he had the boldness to believe that God would bless him, to believe that God would enlarge everything he had. And again, there was a purpose behind it all, and God loved that prayer so much. Jesus actually taught this years later. In Mark chapter 11, Jesus said, have faith in God. That is huge right there. I don't think you understand how big that is. It doesn't say have faith in yourself. It doesn't say have faith in yourself. It says have faith in God. If I had to have faith in me, I'd be in trouble because God has put some things on my heart that he wants to do in my life that if I had to have faith to do it, they're never going to happen, to be very honest, because I know who I am. I know how limited I am. I know what my talent level looks like. I know what my skill level looks like. I know where my abilities are at. So if I had to have faith in me, I would be in trouble. The good news is you don't have to have faith in you. The point was never about having faith in you. The point was having faith in God. So, so here's how you do it. When God gives you a dream that seems impossible for you, all you have to believe is, does Jesus have enough faith in his Father to do something like that in your life? You don't have to believe that you have faith. You just have to believe that Jesus has enough faith in his dad. And I want you to remember, Jesus has watched his dad do all the miracles. Like, like he watched his dad create the heavens and, and, and the moons and the stars and the solar systems. He watched all of that. So here's the question. Does Jesus have enough faith in his father to do something significant in your life? Does Jesus have enough faith to believe that God can bless you? Regardless of your past, regardless of your mistakes, regardless of your failures, regardless of all your flaws, does Jesus have enough faith in his dad? Or is Jesus up in heaven thinking, I don't know if he can do that for him. I mean, think about that for a minute. Does Jesus have enough faith? You don't need to have faith. It's not about you having faith. It's about Jesus having faith. All you got to do is believe Jesus has enough faith in who his father is that his dad can bless you. Because he goes on to say, and here's, here's the Jabez part. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, that was Jabez. Jabez is, look, my life sucks. Like, it's not getting better. It's just pain after pain after pain. So I might as well ask God to bless me in the middle of it. Like, I can't change my circumstances, but I can't ask God to bless me in the middle of it all to increase everything he's given me. He didn't allow his pain to stop him. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea or bless me or enlarge my territory and does not doubt in their heart, but believes, because we don't want to be unbelievers, believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. And now here's the key. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, whatever you ask for, God bless me. God, enlarge my territory. Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it. Pa 
past tense. That's the key. It does not say believe that you will receive. It doesn't say believe that you will receive. It says believe that you have received. Past tense. Past tense. Past tense. You've already received. You don't go into 2020 saying, God, I need you to heal me. You go into 2020 realizing he's already healed you. Now, we don't get to decide when it happens. He says, believe that you have received and it will be yours. I don't get to determine when it becomes mine. I just get to determine that he's already done it. He's already answered. He's already given it. It's already mine. Healing is mine. I've already been healed. Now, when it actually manifests in my body physically, I don't get to decide that. I simply get to believe that he's already done it. That 2,000 years ago, he carried my sickness on the cross, paid for it, said, it is finished. He's already given me healing. He's already answered my prayer. He's already blessed me. He's already restored my marriage. He's already restored the relationship with my children. He's already done these things in my life. I don't have to believe that he will do it in the future. I believe he's already done it in the past. And when I believe that I already have it, it will be mine. Now, when will it become mine? I don't know. That's his job to determine. My job is just to occupy. My job is just to walk in faith that he's already given it to me. And so I'm just going to believe that every place the sole of my foot touches is mine. I'm just going to walk by faith, not by my faith, but by his faith. I'm going to walk and believe that Jesus has enough faith in his father to do this. I don't need to have enough faith. In fact, I'll never have enough faith. I doubt all the time. And that's why I've got to constantly remind myself, no, 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 it's not about what, not about whether I have faith, it's does Jesus have enough faith? Does Jesus have enough faith in his Father to do this? Okay, if he has enough faith in his Father to see this thing happen, then I can accept that it's already done. I can believe that it's already done. Because my faith is not in me, my faith is in God. And that's the good news. That, that, that should take so much pressure off of yourself. I used to beat myself up all the time because I didn't have enough faith. I don't have enough faith. I don't have enough faith. Until I realized I'll never have enough faith. It's not about me having faith. It's about Jesus having faith. And then I started reminding myself, okay, Jesus has enough faith in his Father to do this. Like if Jesus saw his Father hang all the stars in every solar system in every galaxy, then he obviously has enough faith to see God do this in my life. And so I'm just going to rest in the fact that Jesus has enough faith that I've already received. I've already received. Past tense, I've already received. And so I'm just going to walk in that until it's mine. This is a lesson on faith because he's moving us into a very important season. And I want you to be a part of it. Now, some of you, again, I know some of you feel like this is way out there, not for you. It's fine. You don't. Come back next week. <laughs> but for some of you, your heart is burning and you want to grab hold of everything this year that God has for you because it is a year of double redemption for you. You're going to see things. He's going to accelerate time on your behalf. Accelerate time in family relationships. Accelerate time in healing. Accelerate time in business opportunities, investment opportunities. He's sending you out ahead. And, 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 I, and I know why he's doing it. He wants this church to be fully built out and debt-free in the next couple years. Well, that can't happen if he doesn't accelerate your business. 
See, there, there's, he's, he's always up to say. He wants his house, not, and not just Coastline Church. He wants all the churches in this community debt-free. And so he wants to accelerate business people in all of the churches, no matter what church they go to. Because God is trying to position the church. He's trying to position men and women of God in a certain way in this world for what is to come. So I want to encourage you, dive in. That burning in your heart, that's God. That's God confirming this prophetic word over your life. So just believe. Believe that you deserve it. Because you do. You do deserve it. Why? Because Jesus paid for all your sin. That's why you deserve it. You don't deserve it because you've earned it. You don't deserve it because you're good enough. You deserve it because Jesus is good enough. So you can walk through life thinking, well, of course God is going to bless me. Look, if God gave his son for me, then how can he not freely give me all things? In addition, like if he didn't withhold his son, why would God withhold this from me? If he didn't withhold his son, then why, why would he withhold money from me? Why would he withhold healing from me? Why would he hold, you know, relationships from me? If God didn't withhold his son, why would he withhold anything else from me? So of course God is going to bless me. Let's be believers. Let's be believers. Let's believe in the truth of grace. Let's believe in his power over his life. Let's believe that Jesus has enough faith in God to do something incredible in your life, even with your past. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, let this word sink deep into our heart. Let us embrace it. Let us say yes and amen. Let it be so. Let it be. I receive this over my life. If you're here with every eye closed and you want to receive this word over your life, just lift up a hand to God and say, God, I receive this. Just, just right now, just lift up a hand to God and say, God, I receive this. I receive this over my life. I believe this is a year of double redemption in my life. I believe you're going to do things. You're going to accelerate time on my behalf, God. I say amen to it. I say, let it be, God. I agree. I come into alignment with what you're going to do. I come into agreement with what you're going to do in my life. I don't, I, I don't get to determine all of the details or what it exactly looks like. I just know it's going to be blessed, and I know there's going to be favor, and I know you're going to do something incredible. And I just say yes and amen, I receive. In Jesus' name. Would you stand?